so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. What good is it, brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one, if one of you says to him, go, I wish you will, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that this, his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So we're continuing our series today that we started last week from the book of James called Get Real. Get Real. Um, and so James is a, a letter to God's people that, that uh, is five chapters of calling God's people to get real about their faith, um, to get real about their, their life of following Jesus. Um, and so uh, real, as we talked about last week, real is uh, to say that something actually exists. To have a real faith is to have a faith that actually exists. It's to have a faith that's not imagined. It's not just a figment of our imagination. It's there. It's real. It's not artificial. We're not faking it. It's not an imitation, but genuine and authentic. And to take today's passage, we could add to that it's not dead, but alive. Real faith isn't dead. It's alive. And so today's passage is all about putting our faith into action. I was kind to Jill, I didn't make her read the whole chapter, but we're going to have a look at all of chapter 2 today, and this is all about putting faith into action. The, the, 
the segment we got Jill to read this morning, beginning at verse 14, James chapter 2, verse 14, starts with a, with a confronting question. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? James is essentially saying this is a, a rhetorical question in a sense we're meant to, to, to kind of get the answer that he's pointing towards. But it's, it's, it's pretty clear what James is trying to say here. He's saying what good is faith without deeds? What good is faith without action? What, what good is faith without works? He would say, is it even faith? If there's no deeds, if there's no action, can you call it faith? James is actually hitting on the question of, well, what is faith? What is it? Faith and belief, they're two words that kind of wrap together, but like the word love, I've said before, I love pizza and I love my wife and I love Jesus and they're not all the same thing. But it's all the same word. Well, faith is a bit like that. Belief is a bit like that. We can use the same word, but, but it can mean a bunch of different things. And so James is hitting out that question, well, what is faith? If we say we're saved by faith, then, then what is it? And so James's question calls us to examine our own life, to examine our own faith. Is it real? Does it have substance? Or is it just an imitation? And so James goes on in verse 15 and 17 to kind of elaborate on this thought. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. They're naked and hungry, or at least they're inadequately clothed and hungry. And you say to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. But we don't do anything about their physical needs. What good is it? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? We're an intelligent group of people here at this church. We, we get that that is an absolute useless thing to do. James is saying that faith has to be something more than good vibes and, and, and warm thoughts and well wishes. Faith is more than empty words. Uh, Sometimes you'll see on uh, Facebook where someone shares something that's happening in their life and, and sometimes you'll just see people say, uh, sending happy thoughts your way. I'm not saying that people who say that are horrible people. Not at all. But, but what good is that? What does that achieve for anyone? I'm, I'm just channeling my happy thoughts towards you. I know it comes from a well-meaning place. Or even prayers and thoughts. My prayers and thoughts are with you in this situation. Now, don't hear me wrongly here. I believe that prayer is powerful and effective, that, that prayer shifts the atmosphere, that prayer makes a tangible difference. I'm not saying there's, there's anything wrong with prayer. What I am saying is often when we say, often when I say, oh, I'll pray, we don't actually pray. We're just putting out a sweet nothing. My prayers and thoughts are with you in this situation. And so James would say, what, what good is that if we don't do anything? 
Faith has to be something more than good vibes, warm thoughts, well wishes, empty words. And so he says, just as useless as, as telling someone who's naked and hungry that they should make sure they're well fed, that they should make sure they stay warm, just as useless as it is just to offer empty words to someone in that situation, James says, in the same way, faith by itself, belief by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. It's not real, it's not alive. It's just a veneer. It's just an imitation. It, it is dead. Faith without action is dead. And he goes on in verse 18 and 19 to, to kind of elaborate further on the thought. He says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And he goes on to kind of share this uh, challenging thought. I love the way Jill read it with, with this kind of ominous tone at the end of this verse. It says, I'll try and replicate. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And so faith is belief. Faith is belief and confidence. Paul says it's a hope in what we've not yet seen, a confidence in what we hope for. I'm jumbling that up really badly, but, but it is belief. But James is saying here, it's, it's more than just correct theology. It's more than just, oh, I believe in God. It's more than just even I believe there is one God, which is true, one God in three persons. It's more than just believing the right list of things. It's, it's more than just getting your theological ducks lined up in a row so they sit neatly. Because as James says, even the demons believe in God. Even demons believe that there's one God. We see through the gospel stories that, that in fact the first people to identify Jesus as the Messiah, the Holy One from heaven, are demons. And Jesus tells them to be quiet. Shh. There's lots of talk about why that is taking place. I think one of the reasons is he doesn't want the gospel to be proclaimed by those who are evil. He wants it to come from the mouth of those with true faith. But, but the point here in James is right theology does not equal faith. Theology is not bad. Otherwise, I threw four years down the toilet and basically my life, in an ongoing sense, in studying theology, it's not a bad thing. But faith that is real, that has substance, is more than just believing the right things. Because the demons believe it and, and none of us would say that the demons are saved by their belief in God and by their belief in Jesus as the Messiah. And so faith for us has to be something more than that. And so James repeats, are we going to jump down? Don't worry, we'll get to the bits back in the middle. 
We're going to jump down to verse 26 because James repeats this key thought that faith without deeds, faith without action is dead. And and he sums up this thought at the end of the passage in James 2.26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the key thought, the key theme, the key idea, the big idea, the central thing we need to understand from James chapter 2. Faith without deeds, faith without actions is dead. I hope that we get some more context for, for that today in the next 20 minutes, but, but if there's anything you, you, you're going to take away from today, it should be that, that faith without action, without deeds is dead. It's not real. It's not alive. The example uh, James uses here in this summary statement is that it's like a body without the spirit. So like a body without spirit is dead, so is faith without deeds. And apologies for anyone who's experienced the loss of a loved one in this way, but but there's a thing, uh, and Dr. Joe can correct us on many levels this morning, but there's a thing called being brain dead, uh, where with the modern medical machines and, and things like that, we can, we can keep the rest of the body functioning. The heart might be beating, the lungs are receiving air, oxygen is going around to the body, but they test the brain and there's nothing going on. There's nothing there. It's just the spirit has left the building. The Spirit's left the vessel, so to speak. And so the thing is, you know, though it's, you know, that these people aren't up and running around, it looks like they're alive. And, and so doctors in that situation have that difficult um, conversation to have with the family and say, we believe that there's no life here. Even though many of their organs are still functioning, even though it looks like life, there's no life here. And so that's what faith without deeds is. It can look like life. You can look like you believe the right things. It can look like you're saying the right things. Oh, yeah, be well fed. Stay warm. Thoughts and prayers. One God, Jesus. You can have a robust understanding of the Trinity. But if there's no deeds, it's, it's like a brain-dead body. The word for spirit here, though, actually is the Greek word pneuma, uh, which uh, most of us uses throughout the New Testament means the spirit, but it's also the word for breath. And so another way of reading that is just, just as without the spirit, sorry, just as the body without the spirit is dead, or just as the body without breath is dead, without air, without oxygen is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so it might be a brain-dead type situation where it looks like it's alive, but it's not. Or it might be a situation where there's just simply no breath. And for those of us that are non-medical, that's a pretty surefire way of knowing that life has left this person when there's no breath left. And so James is saying... That if our faith is just words, if our faith is just theology, but there's no action, there's no deeds, there's no doing that comes from that, then it's as dead as someone who is no longer breathing. 
It's as alive as a lifeless body. And so James calls us to get real. He's not trying to depress us. He's not trying to tell us, oh, you're all dead. You should all go to hell because you're all dead and you're not saved because your faith is useless. He's, he's trying to spur us to put our faith into action. He's trying to say, well, if your faith is real, then it will lead to action. Just as we're, we're, we're resting with this idea of abide this year and abide in Jesus and we'll be fruitful. Just as we abide in Jesus, we will be fruitful. If our faith is real, it will spur us to action. And so that's what James is trying to do. He's trying to encourage us to have a faith that's more than words. To have a faith that's more than right theology. As we said last week that James is the brother, earthly speaking, of Jesus and um, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples that followed him around um, but we can we can suspect that James had lots of time with Jesus and listening to his teaching. And, and, and so I want to suggest that in fact James got this idea from Jesus himself. That, that real faith leads to action. In Matthew 25, Jesus uh, speaking uh, to the people said this, in Matthew 25, beginning of verse 31, he said, When the Son of Man comes, referring to himself, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as shepherds separate the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you loved, looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, I don't remember doing that. That's my paraphrase. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we... See you sick or in prison and go visit you. The king replied, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, the sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he'll say to those on his left, the goats that is, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. We could read this from your arm, Carl. <laughs> Just, Carl has this tattooed on his arm. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, I don't remember that. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so this idea that the kind of faith that saves is faith that involves deeds, actions, doing that flow out from that faith comes from Jesus himself. 
Faith that is alive leads to action. And so we need to pause for a moment and ask this question. Are we saved by faith or by works? Are we saved by grace or by our deeds? This is the fundamental question of faith. To put a personal uh, angle on it, the question could be, say, what must I do to be saved? Must, must I do to enter into this eternal life that Jesus spoke about in Matthew and avoid the other side of that separation of goats and sheep? On the surface of things, it seems like the Apostle Paul and the Apostle James are having an argument about this question. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul writes this, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But then James, as we've already read in 2.24, in James 2.24, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? And then he says in verse 24, You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. When you read those verses back to back, you kind of hope that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle James don't meet each other in a pub after a few beers. Ooh, things are about to get real. And so on the surface of things, it seems like James and Paul are having an argument. That there's a major conflict between what they believe and what they're teaching the church. But I want to suggest that when we unpack what they're actually saying, that's not so. See, the difference between Paul and James isn't one of belief or theology, it's one of vocabulary and audience. See, Paul is speaking to those that believe they are made righteous by acts of the law, like circumcision. Paul is speaking to legalistic Leon. You're legalistic Leon now, Carl. And Leon says, I don't need to believe in this Jesus guy. Or even if I believe in Jesus, I've got to do the acts of the law. I've got to make sure I'm circumcised. I've got to make sure uh, that I'm, you know, straining the gnats out of my water. I've got to make sure I'm ticking all the boxes. That's what legalistic Leon says. And so to legalistic Leon, uh, Paul is saying that religious works of the law are powerless to save. In fact, any works in their own right, apart from faith, are powerless to save and that we can add nothing to our faith in order to be saved. But James is speaking to those who merely believe and that's how we would say it 
In the way we use inverted commas these days, we put inverted commas around believe. James is speaking to those who merely believe in God but show no transformation in their life. James is speaking to, I believe Bob. That's you now, Peter. You're just, oh, I believe Bob. So Bob's the kind of person that you might be sharing Jesus with him and, and you go, oh, yeah, no, no, I believe in God. Yep, yeah, cool, yep. Yeah. Uh, you don't need to talk to me about it. I believe in God, yep. I've got God. I've, I've ticked my life insurance box. I'll get to heaven. I believe in God. Don't ask me any more about it. And so James is saying to, I believe, Bob, that that kind of faith is not what brings salvation. It's not this mental ascent, this theological ascension to the fact that there may or may not be a God, that there may be one, and I, yeah, I kind of lean on the side that there is a God, there's one God, yes, my theology is okay, thank you, I received that salvation. James is saying to, I believe, Bob, well, there's got to be something that gives evidence to that. There's got to be deeds, there's got to be works, there's got to be actions, but, but the difference here as well is that, that, that the deeds that Paul is talking about, I'm getting wrong sides mixed up to legalistic Leon, he's saying those religious ticking the box things, they're not going to save you. You have to put your faith in Jesus. But the deeds that, that James is talking about to, I believe, Bob, it's not works of law. James is a Jewish person. He uses this word law throughout his letter, but, but he talks about the royal law of loving your neighbor as yourself. He talks about the law that brings freedom. James is talking about deeds that come from a real and personal relationship with Jesus. He's, he's not t- talking about ticking the legalistic boxes. And so the difference is they're talking to different people or different groups of people. They're using the same words but from a different angle. Like I said, they're both using the word faith, but faith can mean a lot of different things. It can mean a real and transformative relationship with Jesus Christ or it can mean, yeah, there's probably a God. They're using the word works or deeds or actions, but, but, but that can mean things in which I trust in that I pile up and put before God and say, see, I've got to get to heaven because I've done all of these things. Or deeds, works, actions, as, as James is talking about, it can mean the action which flows forth from having a real relationship with Jesus. See, the pub fight melts away when we actually look at what Paul says next in Ephesians 2.10 after he's just said, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then in verse 10 he says, For we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus to do, to do. We are created in Christ Jesus to do. Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so James knows no notion of any works themselves that you could add them up to equal salvation apart from having faith in Jesus. 
James is not saying if you just work hard, you can earn your salvation through a pile of good deeds and religious box ticking. And at the same time, Paul has no notion of a saving faith that does not produce in the believer good deeds. Yes, we are saved entirely by God's grace through faith. And yes, the evidence of real faith is action. And so James goes on to give us examples of what faith in action looks like, to tell us what he's talking about. He says, you foolish person, I feel uplifted, I hope you feel uplifted, you foolish person. He's talking to a hypothetical opposition here. It's a literary device called diatribe. Don't take it personally. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And then just as Paul does when he's, when he's talking about being saved by faith and not through works of the law, James goes to Abraham, the father of Israel, the father of all who have faith. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by faith by what they do and not by faith alone. And so James isn't saying, oh no, it's, it's not actually right. It wasn't that he believed God and it was credited as righteousness. It's, it's, it's actually, we should amend that verse and say, Abraham did the right thing and it was credited to him as righteousness. What he is saying is it would have been useless. And if you don't know the story, God promised to Abraham that he would be the father of nations. But he was childless, and so he had this one child, the first fruits of the promise being fulfilled. But, but then as a test of his faith, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, which we would be aghast at, but was not actually an uncommon practice in the religions of the day. And the moral of that story is, in fact, that God does not require a sacrifice of our children, but he will provide a sacrifice for us in that story, um, a ram in the fullness of God's story, his own son, Jesus Christ. And so Abraham was credited as righteous because he believed God, but we could not say it was real belief if Abraham sat at home and said, well, totally not going to go up to the hill and sacrifice my son because I believe God will provide a sacrifice. I'm going to disobey God because I have a belief about him. It wasn't faith, it wasn't belief unless he climbed up the hill. Unless he put his faith into action, none of us would say it could actually be called faith. He believed X and so he did Y. James goes on to say that in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them, gave lodging to the spies and sent them off a different direction. And so Rahab was um, a resident of the city of Jericho and, and the spies went out to uh, 
investigate Jericho and she gave them safe lodging and then sent them off so that they wouldn't be captured uh, as an act of faith in the God of Israel and not the gods of her own land. She risked her life through trusting in the God of Israel because she trusted in the God of Israel. Now, we couldn't call it faith, could we, if she said, whoa, don't come near me, don't come. this could cost my life, I believe your God's the most powerful God, I believe he can save me, but I just don't want to risk it, so don't come near me. We wouldn't call that faith unless it led to action. That's ridiculous. It's not faith. Now, it's not her deeds that led to righteousness, but, but it's the faith working together, given evidence from deeds that lead to righteousness. And so James is essentially saying, if we believe X, that should lead to some kind of action, that should lead to Y. The letter Y. X should equal Y. Forgive my algebra. And, and so if we believe what Jesus said in Matthew 25 about there, there's going to be a day that the sheep will be separated from the goats, that, that some will enter into eternal life and some will enter into the punishment reserved for Satan and the demons. If we believe that X, if we believe that the only way in which a person can be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ, if that's the X that we believe, then it should lead to some kind of Y. There should be some kind of action. We should kind of warn people. We should let people know if we believe X, then we should do Y. If we believe that Jesus commanded us to love one another, if that's core to our faith, then we should love one another. Not in warm, fuzzy words, but with action. If we believe that Jesus has called us to be makers of disciples, if that is part of our faith, then we should at least make an attempt at making disciples. If we believe X, it should lead to Y. If we believe that God has compassion on the poor, then we should love and have compassion on the poor. If we believe that the God we have faith in cares about justice, then we should seek to live justly. Our, our, our faith is dead unless our belief in X leads to Y. And there's so many things about our faith that we can draw these direct lines. If we believe that, that Jesus is the only way to be saved, then we should tell people about him. It's X should equal Y. But, but the picture is actually bigger than that. Uh, the story that James introduced this chapter with, which we haven't looked at yet, but we're going to look at briefly, the parable, so to speak, isn't just about X equaling Y, it's about our faith transforming everything about the way we act as individuals and as a community. In James chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, he, he introduced this idea that we've spent all morning talking about that faith, real faith leads to action. He introduced it by saying this in the first four verses. My brothers and sisters, 
believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. See, James begins this chapter by making a, a big point about belief and about who it is that we believe in. And he says, so as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. Our belief should transform the way we respond to others. It says, suppose a, a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. Uh, my dad once preached from this passage uh, in um, his old kind of torn apart tracky pants and jumper and um, you know that he works on the farm with and holes in the sleeves. Um, this is evidence that I'm not as brave as my father um, <laughs> or don't have clothes as worn out as him because uh, dad really uh, has a belief in the endurance of clothes beyond all reason. Um, he actually got really criticised on his way. How dare you come to church dressed like that? Someone said on the way in. They repented afterwards. <laughs> a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a man comes in wearing old filthy clothes. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so belief in our glorious Lord Jesus should impact our behaviour. James spoke into the context of the Roman culture in which favoritism was intrinsic to the way of life. They had a rigid class system. There were senators and equestrians and local special people, but, but most of the population, 90% of the population, were poor peasants with no hope of rising up the social ladder. And the clearest sign of importance was attire. Most people had to make their own clothes and most of their clothes would be extremely well worn because they didn't have much uh, finances to be able to access enough material to make more than just enough to cover their body. And, and so those who had the means or the influence would show off their importance by what they wore. Today we might see... And hear me rightly, there's nothing wrong with having a nice car, a nice house or clothes. It's in the showing off of it. It's in the seeking to gain status through it that James has issues. But we might see people in our world who seek to show how important they are by how expensive a car they drive, by how big their house is or by how they dress. But James is saying to show favoritism is to mirror the values of the world. And that's the bigger point here. Yes, we shouldn't show favoritism. Do I show favoritism? Of course I do. Should I? Of course not. But, but the bigger point here is that, that once we believe in the glorious Lord Jesus in a real way, we shouldn't any longer mirror the values and practices and habits and predispositions of the world around us. 
Favoritism should not be a thing in the church, but also seeking status through the ways the world shows status should not be a thing in the church. There should be such a transformation through our belief in Jesus. There should be such a reshaping of our action when we come to faith in Jesus that, that the Roman emperor can sit by, side by side in the best seats with the filthiest, dirtiest pauper. To go a little further, that the Roman emperor would sit on the floor so that the pauper would have the good seat. And so, yes, we need to, to learn this lesson of favoritism, and I encourage you to, to read through that whole start of this chapter uh, for homework uh, this week. I won't set an essay, just a reading assignment. I encourage you to read through it, and yes, we should take the message of favoritism, but, but I want us to grab a bigger picture. I want us to grab an understanding that, that if I have faith, it's got to be more than nice words, happy thoughts, and well wishes. If, if I have faith that leads to salvation, it, it's got to be more than right theology. It's got to be more than believing the right things and having my theological ducks lined up. That's, it's not bad to have good theology, but it's, it's got to be more than that. If I have faith, then, then my faith should lead to action. X should lead to Y, but, but it's also got to be more than that. Yes, because I believe this thing, I should do this thing, but, but, but the kind of actions, the kind of deeds that James is talking about is, is that of a radically and completely transformed people. That of a people who in a world, in that Roman world, who, who is so wedded to the idea of status and honour for those who, who, who are winning at the game of life and shame and dishonour to those who are not. In that world, the church would be a place that God's people would be a people that would turn that upside down and on its head and be radically transformed. That our behaviour would clearly contrast. Real faith, getting real, means coming back to what James ended the first chapter with. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Real faith chooses to swim in the opposite direction, to get real, to put faith into action. And so I want to invite you to stand this morning. We're going to sing a song to finish. If you're able, if you're unable to, that is totally fine. I won't receive it as rejection, I promise. And so once more through James's letter to the church, I want to extend to each of us, including myself, a call, a challenge, an invitation, an inspiration that we would get real. That our faith would be not an imitation, 
not a forgery, not artificial, but something that's actually existing. Not dead, but alive. So, Father, I pray on behalf of us all this morning and declare that we desire real faith. Thank you so much that you love us as we are. Thank you so much that you sent your Son that through faith in him we might be saved. Thank you so much that you've shown us clearly that there is no pile of deeds or works high enough to equal salvation. Thank you so much for the letter of James which shows us that real faith leads to action. And so, Father, I pray that you would stir up in us a boldness to express our faith in deeds. Father, I pray that you would stir up within us, show us where the belief of X should lead to the action of Y, that we would believe in Jesus as the only way to be saved, and so we would tell others about it. Show us the connection points. But, Father, I pray that you would completely turn our life and behaviour upside down compared to the ways of the world. Let us be a people of completely transformed behaviour. We pray in all of this that it would bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.